Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Mmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. So why is religion so important? Because this is one of the things that really confuses me about America. Why religion is so important? Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. And I'm quite happy to change the topic if you want to. Fine. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not afraid of any question. So that's, that's a good question. I think it's a, a wonderful probing question. So I think that there's a lot of reasons. I think that one of the reasons is, <clears throat> as humans, we don't like change. And we like, we like to maintain the status quo and normalcy as much as possible. And so for people who were who were raised in a a rather strict Christian religion, you know, Baptist, whatever it is, that's their that's their norm. That's what they're used to. That's that's the box that they live in that they're comfortable in. And anything that's different is threatening to them. And so they they label that as 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 bad or weird or strange or what have you, and they and they they distance themselves from it. And I think it has to do with a feeling of safety and security, because if that type of person was very secure in their self and was not threatened by differences, different people, different religions, then they would be more open. You know, the, the Buddhist can live next door to the, the Hindu or the Christian or the Baptist and everybody can get along. But if you're, if you're not secure, if you're not feeling safe and you're craving that, that normal box for you, if a Buddhist family moves in next to your very traditional Christian household, you might feel a little bit threatened. You might feel a little bit unsafe. Oh, that's really different. I don't know anything about that. And, and I'm not sure I want to. It's, it's, it's very odd. So I think that's one of the reasons. I think it has to do with safety and, and the need to have some kind of normalcy or status quo. Another reason would be, <clears throat> as humans, we crave interaction. We crave interaction with other people. And many of us, if not most of us, like to affiliate or associate ourselves with people who are similar, similar political views, similar religious views, maybe similar education or life experiences, maybe similar family structure, you know, a man and a woman and two kids, you know, or three kids and a dog and a cat, you know, some, something like that. We, we're always looking for, for our tribe, you know, who's, who's out there, who's similar. Oh, there's one. Let's, let's connect with them. There's, oh no, they're too different. I don't want to deal with them. Oh, there's somebody let's connect with them. So I think it's this, this sense of affiliation or association with people who are like us. I think that's another reason. Why is not that feeling of insecurity of not being safe? Because I think that that within our DNA, we are always scanning for threats and things that are different, we don't immediately recognize. So if, if you um, if you if you do an experiment and you place 
two things in front of somebody and one of them, you know, they're going to recognize and the other one, they're not going to be so sure about. Inevitably, they're going to make an immediate connection with that familiar thing. Oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. I, 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 I don't, I don't feel any, I don't fear. I'm not threatened, but that thing that's different. I'm not sure about that. You know, my mind, my mind is scanning. Is there a threat here? Is there a fear here? It goes back to eons and eons ago. What, what were threats? You know, tigers, lions, bears, dinosaurs. But that person who looks like me from the cave next door, I don't feel as threatened, right? And so we're always looking for those, those things that help us feel safe. And I, and I think that American society has changed significantly in the last four to eight years um, with respect to tolerance of differences. I think that, that tolerance is at a, a very low level. It was at a low level. It still is at a low level. Um, and I think it really comes down to, to, to fear of the different because I don't feel safe when I'm surrounded or confronted with something that's different. And, and the other aspect that comes into that for me is I realized a few, a couple of months ago, that I don't necessarily talk to people from a different culture or background because I don't want to make a mistake because if I make a mistake, then I'm not right. So this whole little psychological thing that goes on. So I would be concerned if I went to Japan, for example, I wouldn't open my mouth or do anything because I'd be terrified of making a mistake. (laughs) Ah, yes, yes. Like That's got to be in there somewhere as well. If we're a culture that wants to keep ourselves safe, then we can't make a mistake because then we'd be wrong which would mean that we weren't right which would mean that we weren't safe oh but so much so much beauty in life is from either failing or making a mistake because that's when we learn the most and and you know we can say something like if i'm in japan and 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 i i need something i could say something like i'm going to apologize right up front I don't know the correct term for this. Can you help me? You know, showing some vulnerability. I don't need to be right. I know I'm wrong. I'm okay with being wrong. I just need some help. Yeah, and it's help and uh, uh, people don't like being vulnerable, do they? Because there's a few times that I've done that. Look, I apologize for anything I'm going to say. (laughs) <laughs> this comes from a space of not understanding, not want, not a space of wanting to offend or upset or cause any any harm or anything. But it's that's again something that we're not taught to do in our societies. Yes, yes, yes. and um, my wife and I just recently got back from a vacation in the um, the British Isles, the UK. So we went to went to Ireland, we went to Scotland, we went to England, we went to uh, the Normandy area of France. And one of the things we noticed and appreciated so much about UK was everybody's willingness to say, "Please, thank you, I'm sorry." excuse me 
the priority placed on manners over there compared to the priority placed on manners in America was so vastly different and and we appreciated it. And I think that, boy, apology, forgiveness, that's that's a whole nother topic. And, And I think that apology, even just a simple, sorry, excuse me, my apologies, can mean so much. It, it's really, ex, it's an expression of our humanness, which I think is a beautiful thing. I hadn't even considered that. I'm for, from England originally, and that's one of my big things with the kids. You say, please, you say thank you, and you apologize. Yes. And that, and you can also take it too far, but it, it, it's, mm. it's something I hadn't even thought about it from that perspective or thought about the fact that nobody else might apologise the way the British do because we are one big apology. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, 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 think that, I think that apology can be, be taken too far. There are some people, in my experience, it tends to be more women than men, um, who apologize too much. But, but very, I mean, what I saw in the UK, what I experienced was just everyday things. Um, for example, uh, we were on a train and the train was very full. And um, we, were, we were sitting in, a, in an aisle seat and people were walking by and they would simply say, excuse me, I'm sorry. It just, it's just so, so simple. And it, I didn't feel that it was overly done. Like, you know, you didn't bother me. You don't have to apologize. No, my, my thought was, wow, isn't that refreshing? Isn't that nice? Wow, manners matter. Isn't that cool? I'm terrible for pulling people up for not saying please or thank you. Like, you know, when somebody bumps into me, well, a sorry would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you respect your boundaries. That's awesome. Well, I'm also being right, you know. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. I like being right about that. <laughs> when you're talking, when you're doing your um, negotiations, mediation, in the divorce, how important it like, and, and where I'm coming from is I hadn't considered the fact that apology isn't endemic in another society and saying sorry and and excuse me and all those kind of things so if that's the case in American society you've got a few problems when it comes to resolving conflict (laughs) absolutely because oftentimes or, or sometimes all it's going to take to resolve a conflict is an apology an acknowledgement that somebody did something wrong, that what somebody did harmed another person in some way, whether emotionally or physically, and all it takes is a sincere acknowledgement that what that person did was, was wrong, it will never happen again, and acknowledging that it hurt that other person and sincerely saying, I'm sorry that what I did harmed you in that way. And, you know, we were talking earlier about teaching our younger people how to communicate better in, in interpersonal relationships. And that's another thing that we just don't teach people is how to apologize effectively. And there is, there is a right way or a better way, and there's a wrong way. 
And what I hear so often is something like, well, I'm sorry if you got offended. That was not my intention. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just, that is so wrong. <laughs> don't, even, don't even try and make an apology if that's what you're going to say. Because the, the other person is thinking, if I got offended, oh, no, I was offended. And I don't care what your intention was, because this was the result. That's a terrible apology. A good apology, and there, there are examples out there, but a good apology is something like, I realized that when I said X, Y, Z, that I offended you, and I am so sorry that I offended you with my words. I value our relationship, and I want to promise you that that will not happen again, and I want you to feel safe in our relationship and trust that that will not happen again. And I am so sorry. That's the way to do it. You acknowledge that what you did harmed the other person in some specific way. You don't try and justify your actions or defend your intention. And you promise them that it won't happen again, giving them some safety or assurance that you're going to do everything in your power to not have that situation happen again. And, and so I, I have seen in at least one case, I can remember the power of apology. And, and real quick, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> so um, it was a husband and wife situation, and I represented the wife. And th they were not getting along very well. My client, the wife, had an extramarital affair, uh, which angered the husband. He was very bitter, very angry about it. And he took the position of, there is no way I'm going to give her any financial support after we're divorced. I'm just not going to do it. There's no way I'm ever going to do it. And in talking with her, I, asking her questions, I learned that he was very angry about this. And so I, I, I broached the subject and I said, how would you feel about sitting with him one-on-one -on -one and giving him a sincere apology for what you did? And she said, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. He's really angry. So I coached her through it. I, I taught her how to give a sincere apology. And then I gave them the space. The mediator gave them the space. She went in, she approached him. She invited him to a conversation. They sat together, just the two of them, in a separate room for about half an hour. And she came back to the room where I was and the mediator was, and she said he appreciated the apology and he agreed to help me uh, with, with giving me some financial support after our divorce. And, and I'll never forget the mediator, um, very, very experienced mediator here in, in Central Florida, turned to me and, and he said, AJ, I just saw the value of that degree you got from Pepperdine University. He says, I've never seen anybody do that. Wow. I'm still kind of reeling a bit that about the apology thing. I cannot understand that. And so having to teach somebody to apologize seems alien to me because to me apology is part of taking responsibility yes so if you don't yes. apologize then you cannot ever take responsibility for what's happened that's right 
And that's a huge part of an apology. And so many people get it wrong. They miss that whole part of taking responsibility for what happened. They, they, they want to put it off on the other person. You know, so, so, sorry if you got offended. Sorry if you got hurt. It's like, well, just, just acknowledge that you contributed to that person's feeling. Acknowledge what you did. Take responsibility for what you did. And so many people just miss that part. And, and I saw it uh, or I see it in certain online personalities where you, they're quite offensive in what they say and they go, well, it's not my fault if you took offense at that. That's all with you. Um, uh, kind of missing the point there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and that's, an, that's another thing that I, I don't think we teach our young people. And that is. When you're in conflict with somebody else, so often is the case that each person contributed some something to that conflict. Rarely is it ever just one person. So, so to completely put it off on somebody else, you're, to be blunt, you're missing the boat. You, you, you really should be asking something like, I'm not sure how I contributed to this struggle that we're having can you help me understand your perspective and where you're coming from and, and how I contributed to this? Cause I really want to know. Cause it's not about, you know, some people would misconstrue or manipulate this into saying, Oh, well, you know, it's always all my fault and everybody else is always right. It's not about that at all. Is it? No, no, it's not. It's, it's get, get rid of the idea that somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Each person's perspective is valid because that's the way they experienced it. And you can't tell somebody that the way they experienced something is wrong because you didn't experience it through their eyes, their lens on the world. It's simply different. And you have to treat it that way. How do you teach people or how would you want to I'm stuck on this apology thing now. How would you want to, how would you tell people to include more apology in their life? What difference does it make when you apologize, for example, just for bumping into somebody on the street or pushing past somebody on the train or something? Okay. So, so the, the, the first criteria or factor, in my opinion, would be the relationship. How much do you value the relationship? If, if, it's a, if it's a relationship that you value highly, then apology is, is huge, absolutely huge. If it's, if it's somebody on a train, if somebody in an elevator, and, and you don't have a relationship with that person, a simple sorry, excuse me, oh, my apologies, will do. You don't have to give a whole drawn out apology, taking responsibility for what happened. It, the relationship isn't there, so it doesn't matter. And what is the outcome of that? The outcome of which? Of, of taking, of apologizing. Because um, I personally can't see it because I'm in among the apology. But what is the, what is the result of of taking that kind of responsibility and just going, I apologize, excuse me, do you mind? Okay, so the result of, of taking responsibility for, for what you did 
and acknowledging how it impacted the other person. The end result is that th this other person, the person you harmed, the person you offended, will likely hear your apology, if it's sincere, as an acknowledgement of them as a human being and a person with value. And that is huge. That is so important to each one of us as a human being. We want to feel acknowledged. We want to feel valued. We want to feel like we have a right to take up space and breathe the air that we do. And, and when, you don't, when you don't apologize, you miss out on giving that, that other person a gift, really, a, a gift in, in helping them see you as somebody who sincerely cares. And so what I've seen is like that example that I gave you, somebody who is immovable in a position, getting a sincere apology and a recognition of what happened, willing to move off of that very, very firm position. So that's, that's the result of a sincere apology. And I, I was... When in all your stuff, one of the things you've given a, a talk about is apology in business, isn't it? Yes. Talk yes. to me about that. <laughs> so, so it's it's very very similar, and I think that there's a there's a significant movement in business today to what I would sum up as valuing employees and and a workforce more than we used to. And so the, the power of apology is even more important now. So for example, in a, in a very old, traditional, top-down type of management structure, uh, a manager might go to a, a subordinate employee and say, you really screwed up this report. You did not do a good job. Um, my boss came down hard on me. And, and I, just, I just needed to tell you that you really screwed up. And that employee might say, well, I based the report based upon the numbers or the, 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 the statistics that you gave me. All I did was build the report based on information that you gave me. And that manager will say something like, well, all you need to know is you need to do a better job next time. What a missed opportunity. And so that, that's, in, that's in, hopefully, the old top-down type of, of, of business structure. Today, where we're a lot more collaborative, where we value employees a lot more, um, I'll just use my own, my own firm as an example. Um, if, if, if my paralegal uh, made a mistake on drafting a document, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk with her in a very non-threatening way. And I'm going to say, hey, look, you know, none of us is perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But I noticed when you drafted this document that you, you got this person's name wrong and everybody's name is really, really important to them. So what can we do to make sure that um, we, we, we get the name correctly? If she says to me, well, AJ, I just, I just got the name from the information that you had actually typed into the case when, when they first hired you. I have an opportunity there. And I can say, oh, my gosh, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I, I, I obviously entered it wrong, and that, that, that caused the, the error in the document. I'm so sorry. I'm going to need to do better at that in the future. I mean, that's, that really, really helps my employee, my paralegal feel like, 
you know, I'm a valued person in this in this firm. And and I'm important and he cares enough about me to to talk to me in a in a human way, as opposed to you idiot, you screwed up, don't do it again. I mean, that's just not the right way to treat people. So it's huge in business. Absolutely. It's also about being an example as well, isn't it? Because it does come from um, my reaction would have been, oh, oopsies, <laughs> screwed up there. <laughs> uh huh. Right, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I love, I love um, your comment about being an example because one of the things I teach my clients is mirroring the type of behavior they want to see from their partner, their spouse. So. Um, I'll, I'll use another example. <clears throat> if you want your spouse to be more calm when you're talking about something difficult, then don't raise your voice. Don't yell. Don't shout. Don't cross your arms. Don't pound your fist. If they're sitting down, don't stand up and look down at them. Mirror the type of behavior you want. So if you want them to be calm, if you want them to be civil, you need to be calm and you need to be civil. And th- there's a whole whole li- uh, uh, volume of literature written on things like social contagion. You know, we, we as human beings, we, we look to other people for examples of how we're supposed to act. And so if we see somebody in conflict acting in a very calm, mature, non-threatening way, we're more likely than not to mirror that and act in the same way. So be an example, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's interesting you say that about um, being surrounded by other uh, examples and stuff of how to behave, and yet we don't want people who are different to us being around us like when you think about the florida mindset you know they like their they've got their little thing they know how life's supposed to look but in actual fact the only way we can grow at all and have examples to us is by experiencing those examples it's really interesting such a dichotomy in the human nature isn't there it it is It's, it's absolutely fascinating it's the difference between Someone who is open to different experiences and and maybe putting themselves in a position that's that makes them feel vulnerable, that makes them feel uncomfortable versus the person who wants to live in their very confined box or they want they want their life to be a very defined little circle and they don't want to venture out of that circle. And what I like to call it, that that little circle or that box is your comfort zone. And some people are willing to get out of it, and some people are never willing to get out of it. And really, the only way we grow as people is to get out of our comfort zone. Because by getting out of our comfort zone, our comfort zone actually expands. It becomes bigger. We become more comfortable with more things. We become more comfortable with people who, are, who look different from us, who sound different from us, who act different from us. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. 
just my mind's gone off on another little tangent here, but if there are any psychologists listening to this, it'd be really interesting to look at the correlation between the ability to apologize and feeling safe. That'd be ah, that was where yes. my mind went. <laughs> yes, wow, that's that's a wow, yeah, fascinating. I know that'd be a that'd be a whole other series of episodes. That one that, that'd be a great one to analyze. I reckon because yes, it yes. is because if you can't apologize, then you're not taking responsibility, and then you've got to be right all the time. When if you're going to be right, you've got to keep yourself safe. So where does that all fit together, and how do we break that cycle? I think that's. I think what I think one of the things that can be done is is helping helping the other person um, that you that you're having a conflict with or a difference of opinion, helping them feel safe. And, and I'll use another example. I love examples. So I'll use another one. In a business setting, if I'm a manager, and I'm going to talk with my employee, and my employee is out on the, the, the floor in a cubicle. If I want to create an unsafe environment, I'm going to walk up to their cubicle, and I'm going to start a conversation out in the middle of the floor with all their coworkers around them, so that their coworkers can hear everything that we talk about. That's creating an unsafe place. Creating a safe space is inviting that person to step outside, to go to the coffee shop down the street, uh, maybe to come back to your office. And if you do go back to your office, you close the door, you draw the blinds, you put your cell phone on mute, you put your phone on do not disturb. You turn your computer screen, computer monitor off, and you give that person your 100% attention. And you don't sit across the desk from them. You sit on the same side of the desk as them. So, so creating a safe space for people, and that's just an example, I think can help alleviate this need to defend to feel right, it almost, it almost transforms it into a collaboration. We're working together to figure out what went wrong here and what we could do to fix it and prevent it in the future. So creating a safe space, that's a, that's a whole other topic all by itself. That's another rabbit hole we could go down. Uh, and, that- and Yeah, and, and attached to what you were saying is the skill of listening because it's a learned skill and many people do not know how to listen to somebody else and and that can prevent ever anything ever escalating to the point of non-talking non-negotiation that's right i i don't know about you but for me if i'm having a conversation with somebody and it's clear to me that they're not listening to me i want to end that conversation fast because i don't i don't feel valued i don't feel acknowledged and i don't feel safe yeah, hey, don't feel safe either. No, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, I just I just tag out the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, li- listening, yeah, absolute skill. I've always been more of a listener than, than a talker, and it's gotten me into trouble. I, I, I've worked for, for Fortune 500 companies, and I've sat in meetings, and I've said nothing. And, you know, my manager will, will meet with me afterwards and say, how come you didn't contribute anything to the meeting? And I and I often say something like, because I didn't feel that I had anything to add. 
we had a great discussion and I just didn't need to hear myself speak and you didn't need to feel my hot air coming out of my mouth. But, but it's, it's, it's almost like if, if you're quiet and you're listening, if people feel threatened, like what's going on inside that mind behind those eyes? Why isn't he saying anything? I feel really unsafe because I can't, I can't figure out what he's thinking. And I've, I've had people tell me that as well. I can't figure you out, AJ. And that makes me really uncomfortable. And, you know, and I say, well, I'm, I'm more of a listener than I am a, a talker. And I'll certainly, you know, share my contributions when I think I have something valuable to add. <laughs> <laughs> we better wrap it up there. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. Oh, it's been absolutely fantastic, Karen. It's been wonderful. <laughs> So much fun. We've gone so far over. This will be split into two episodes. <laughs> Wonderful. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much and enjoy the beautiful weather you've been having there in Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.